Welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and I finally decided to jump off the 24-7 work hamster wheel to go after my dreams. I will be downsizing from my 750-square-foot mansion to a 60-square-foot van in the summer of 2021, and I started this podcast to share that process with you. I'm hoping that it will add value to your life. And the podcast, Kinda Like Life, is ever-evolving. The topics I will be covering are achieving your dreams, unconventional travel, and minimalism. In each episode, I'll either talk to you about my experiences or I'll interview someone else about one, two, or all three of these topics. So hang on to the roller coaster of life for your unknown adventure. Hi, so let's see how this works. I am not using my microphone that I usually use because I'm just trying to get this done and posted as soon as possible. So there may be some, you know, discrepancies with this audio compared to the other audio, so bear with me. This is episode number eight, and I'm super excited to talk to Catherine also known as the five kilo traveler. And as she will explain, five kilos is 11 pounds. And that's what she travels with, which I think is amazing. And she goes on long trips with, yeah, just carrying five kilos. She's also started a couple of classes. Well, she started her first class, offering her first class, which is super reasonably priced. I signed up for it. And it's it's a class that helps you figure out what size bag you need for your travel experience. And then she's going to have some other classes that will be in the future, how to solo travel and things like that. So I just adore her. I met her on Instagram, I don't know, a year, a little over a year ago, two years ago, I don't know. Anyway, I just really like her energy, and I love what she has to say, and I know you will enjoy this interview, so thank you for being here. Hi, I'm Catherine. I am the 5 Kilo Traveler. 5 kilos is 11 pounds, and that's what I travel with, and I am based in New Zealand, and I'm currently locked in New Zealand with this blimmin' pandemic, and not going anywhere very fast except our local travels. It's been winter here, so it's not exactly sort of prime travel season. We're just coming into spring, and I can feel summer in the air. So I'm really hoping that <laughs> it's not too far away and we'll be, we'll be out and about. When did you decide to be a five-kilo traveler? Like, what, what made you decide and when? So back in 2016, I was going for a trip uh, with a friend and she couldn't make it and we were going on a girl's trip and so I said to my husband, I'd actually still really like to go, I'd still like it to be a girl's trip, but just a solo girl trip and just me and um, he agreed to it, he thought it was uh, an interesting idea 
and I went and did it. So really the the thing about traveling solo was that I needed to be secure. I needed to be able to look after my bag. I'm a bit of a weakling. I had a bit of a frozen shoulder at that stage. And so I didn't have full strength in one arm. So I really needed to be able to manage my bags. I needed to be able to you know, lift them and lug them and all that kind of thing. And then I don't know how I found it, but somewhere on the internet there was something about packing light, and uh, I became quite obsessed with it, and it yeah became became quite. I spent probably about nine months uh, organising my bag and really getting it down to a really light weight. And when I did go, so I went to Europe. I went to Europe for four weeks. Um, that was. Uh, a week in Croatia and three weeks in Italy and by myself and in my little bag and it was fantastic. And you never went back carrying a heavy bag? Never looked back and it's become an absolute passion now, um, traveling light and spreading the word and inspiring others. And it even started when I was traveling and particularly in Italy, I met these young people who were the epitome of what I was in my 20s and carrying these huge backpacks and uh, and they were going on weekend visits to you know they were studying in Florence and and going on weekend trips and they had these huge backpacks and I go how long are you going for and uh, they'd look at me and ask me where my bags were so um, we had we had a, a great time that's great. That's funny. Yeah, we can learn a lot from other travelers too. When I was in Italy, I met a woman who was traveling and I was I was traveling. I thought I was traveling light with a with a, just a carry-on suitcase. Uh, yeah. a rolling carry-on suitcase and a backpack for my tech. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, with the cobblestones especially in Parma with the co- thump 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 with the with the roll bag was a nightmare, but the woman I met and she traveled for months at a time and with a tiny little backpack too. Yeah, it's really liberating. It's it's a I so the only reason I did it was to keep my bag safe and to keep everything with me so that if I went into the toilet I could take it with me. If I needed to go into a building or something I could keep it with me at all times. It was constantly strapped to me. But it was when I was on the road that I actually came across all the other benefits of it and just the freedom. The, you know, I would, um, I'd turn up somewhere, like I turned up at Dubrovnik, and that was my first stop. And I was a bit scared at that point because it was all so new. Um, but instead of going and checking into my accommodation straight away, I actually started walking around town. And because I had this small bag, the bag on my back, I'd lend it in because everyone else had small bags on their backs as well. But these were little day bags containing their water and a camera. Mine was everything that I that I owned. And, you know, I walked around to Brovnik for a good hour or two, went to a bar, um, and it was really amazing. And then finally, um, I made my way to my accommodation. So, yeah, it was re- really amazing. Yeah, that's good. That's fun. And so... And I did ask, I have a list of questions, but but I, I really want to know like where it's gone because I see your posts and I see like, you know, the other day was the, about deodorant and, you know, so, so the, the iterations and, and the more you learn, you're learning and, and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, it's, it's, so it started off with someone said to me, um, I should write, you know, these things down. And so I started a Facebook page back in January 2019 and then Instagram. And, and then about nine months later, I developed a website with the, the 5kilotraveler.com. Um, and it's really, it has been a learning curve. And when I first went, I packed pretty basically and I... Uh, my style was sort of a hiking kind of style. It was all hiking gear. Um, and there were a couple of times when I was over there that I felt I needed to dress up a little bit. So, in fact, when I got to Amalfi in Italy, I ended up buying a silk blouse and it just made me feel it was light and uh, really light. And so it meant that I could look a little bit dressier going out to restaurants. But in actual fact, when you do go out to restaurants and places like that, like everyone's just wearing normal clothes. They're not super dressed up or anything like that. So it's it has taken on a life of its own, this whole packing life. And, and I am learning all the time. But I'm trying to make it accessible to people. I want them to know that they don't have to go shopping for the extreme light gear that in all the... Just that there's probably things in their wardrobe that will do the trick. They don't need to go and buy this whole special travel wardrobe. And these special, the thing about the deodorant uh, post was about the fact that, you know, if you buy travel-sized cosmetics and um, toiletries, they're five times the price of anything else. You know, so you get a quarter of the amount for a, four times the price. So I tend to get people to say, look, just reduce the size of what you're taking. And and with the deodorant was basically cut it down to a size. And with like for other things like makeup, you know, whittle it down and use it. And then when it gets to a sort of a travel size amount, pop it in your drawer and keep it as your travel makeup. So that's, yeah, it's just, and it's all learning. I'm learning too, and it's fun. And uh, with the community, I hear lots of different tips from other people. So it's great. And you get lots of feedback. And I love like your, you know, weighing your um, your hair bar. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it starts getting a bit scientific when I get out the kitchen scales. In fact, my birthday before I went to Croatia and Italy, my husband said, what did I want for my birthday? And I said, some decent kitchen scales so that I can weigh all my travel gear. <laughs> and did, did he get that for you? He did. He was Aww. very good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I started experimenting a little bit with like, you know, shampoo bars and uh, but I got really bad ones and they stripped my hair. So there's my hairdresser got really mad at me. And so, you know, obviously I have curly hair. So there's there's a science behind it, too, apparently. Oh, exactly. And I think but but shampoo bars are getting better. And, you know, they're getting they're not just one shampoo bar for all hair kind of type. So they are getting they are definitely getting better. Uh, but, yeah, I just so if I get a bar that weighs about 150 grams, I just cut off a section that weighs about 10 grams and that goes in my in my toiletry bag so that's one of the things is just reducing the size of things you take I mean if you took all your shampoo bottles and your conditioner and your large size toothpaste I mean 
before you know it, it's um, it's huge, and you really don't need that amount of stuff. No, it's true. I've I've often had a toiletry bag that was half of my suitcase. Yeah, exactly. And it's a bunch of stuff I don't really need. So what's the point? It wouldn't be the first. <laughs> yeah. And you actually, I mean, there's th- certain things you don't even need. Like you don't really need toothpaste. You don't need to use it. Well, exactly. And, and, and often the other thing is often you go to places and they've got toothpaste, you know, so you don't even need to be carrying it. I mean, I know someone who travels with baking powder. Um, she, is it baking powder or baking soda? I think it's um, baking soda. It, baking soda um, and brushes the teeth with that. Um, I haven't given that a go. It tastes awful. <laughs> so I did do, when I was in Italy and Croatia, I traveled with a Dr. Bonner's soap bar, which is um, an all-in-one, like everything. And I did use it for shampoo and body and, and my laundry. And anyway, someone said, oh, apparently it's a, you can use it as a toothpaste as well. And so I, I foolishly gave it a go. And I was started off and it was fine. And then it hit my taste buds. And I just, oh, it was awful. And, and it is not a toothpaste. And maybe it was the flavor. Maybe if you maybe if you had unscented, maybe. I don't know. Oh, exactly. Well, it wasn't unscented. I thought maybe I needed the peppermint bar instead. Yes. Okay. It could be that. Yeah. That's <laughs> but no, funny. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, there's no way I would do that. But, you know, now there's also things like, like toothpaste uh, drops and those chewable tablets that people are carrying as well. Yeah, that's true. I know we're, we're living in an age of a lot of options that yeah, exactly. we didn't have before. So of the list whether it is you're following your dreams or you're achieving your dreams or you're an unconventional traveler, I think that that's where you really shine is unconventional travel or... Oh, minimalism. Are you a minimalist at your house too? So so what happened was after traveling light and realizing that actually I don't need all that stuff, you come home and you realize that you've got a lot more stuff than you actually need. So... I'm not a big shopper. I've never been a big shopper. Um, and I'm not one for, I, I get no, uh, yeah, I get no reward or that, you know, that good feeling from shopping. So I only shop when I need to. Um, but I do find that, I guess I have been a minimalist in a way all my life. I mean, I, I do things from scratch. I bake things. I make bread. I do all those things. So I'm not one for just buying ready-made all the time. And our house is not, I wouldn't say it's chocker with stuff, but my wardrobe is minimal. I reduced my wardrobe quite a lot, but it was never that big anyway. My sisters would laugh at me (laughs) because it's a very small wardrobe. But I just went through it and I went, right, I just need a few dresses, a few skirts, about five pairs of trousers yeah I just I keep things pretty minimal and and then it it does become part of your life where you start thinking I don't need all that stuff yeah you just you don't yeah you don't and it, and it, it impacts on your on lots of things like for instance like I make a meal plan at the start of the week so I'm not buying unnecessary groceries and and it just simplifies your life and it traveling with my five kilos or 11 pounds really simplified my travels because I didn't need to think about all the gear that I was traveling with and what and it wasn't even about what to wear it was about 
when I went to pack the bag the next morning, it was literally throwing a few things in the bag. It, there really wasn't much to lose. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was. And so minimalism in all aspects just is about simplifying your life. And so what exactly do you travel with? So I travel with, I usually have like three t-shirt kind of tops, um, a blouse, a nice silk blouse to dress up things. And then I'll have three bottoms. So I usually have a pair of shorts, a pair of leggings and a pair of long trousers. And then a long sleeve merino, which smart wool. That So everything has to be layered. Uh, and then I'll have a, a puffer jacket as well. And that's for, I hate being cold. Like that's my worst. <laughs> my worst nightmare is being cold. So I always have my puffer jacket. I usually carry a couple of silk scarves. So they're really small and really light. Um, and they do a great job of keeping me warm. And then I just have three pairs of shoes. So I usually have a pair of hiking shoes, a pair of white leather sneakers, and a pair of flip-flops. And I use them for showers if I'm in hostels. or They're actually quite nice. They're a bit, uh, they're a rose gold color. So they actually look quite nice at night for, for flip-flops. <laughs> yeah, and even the white, the white leather, um, the white leather shoes are actually great for wearing as well because they can be worn with skirts and dresses and, and they look, yeah, quite cool, quite funky. So, yeah, it's, so it's, it is minimal. It's pretty minimal. It is minimal. But I make sure it is. But the other thing is, it's all—it's actually all the stuff that I wear at home. When I got back from my first trip, someone said, God, I bet you're not wanting to wear any of those clothes again. And I said, no way. I love my clothes. And so I wear them all the time. They're my favorite clothes. And I know how they work. I know how they work together. And so they're practice. So when I go out and about, I know that they will work when I'm traveling because that's what I wear at home. Yeah, good point. Very good point. And you roll your clothes. I saw you had a little video on how you're like kind of piling them on top yeah. of each other. Yeah, so I do have a, a bit of a funny rolling technique where they that's sort of a bit like a puzzle really. They all roll together. Um, but any kind of rolling I think is good. It just squishes it right down. I've got a great trick with the puffer jacket though. Instead of so normally with a puffer jacket, if you're not wearing it, you stuff it into its stuff, into its pocket and it. But actually my daughter told me that if you pack your bag and then you get your puffer jacket as it is, nice and open, and then you use it and you stuff it into every available space in your bag, and you'll find that actually it's not taking up any extra room because it's just filling up all that little air space, a little air pocket. So yeah, that's that's a cool little trick. Yeah, that's great. And then they can also double as pillows. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, when I'm light, another trick that I do is I, I wear my heaviest gear on the plane. So I'll have my hiking shoes and a scarf and my puffer jacket. But I use those when I'm on the plane. So my puffer jacket, I roll it up and wrap it around my neck and use it as a travel pillow. And I put that to really good practice uh, back in December in 2019. My daughter and I flew to Chicago, and that was a 16-hour flight from Auckland to Chicago. And I used my puffer jacket wrapped around my neck as a travel pillow, and I slept like a log. 
That's great. That's a really yeah. good idea. I've got one of those like somewhere here in my closet. Big, bucky, heavy. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, there are some good ones that are, they're like a, an empty travel pillow and you fill them up with something. So you can fill them up with clothes and things like that. So that's, you know, that's another good option too. I have one of those too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite, I'm quite the consumer, which is going to be interesting when I pare down from my 750 square foot mansion to my 60 square foot home. Uh, you're gonna love it. I know. You I'm excited. Gonna it. I was gonna say I bought my van yesterday. <gasps> oh, how exciting! Yeah. Oh my goodness, that is really exciting. I'm really excited. I love it. I just, I love it. And then I talked to the builders today, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't get to it till January." I'm like, "Can I drive it right over?" They're like, "No." <laughs> oh no. But that's all right. There's plenty. I have plenty of room here. So. I'd say there must be quite a an. Uh, a big, I've heard that there's a big increase in uh, van people traveling with uh, your camper vans and stuff in the states. Huge, huge. So I, when I found these builders, they had only made they'd only built out three vans before when I found them, and I found them yeah. on Craigslist, and then and I found a bunch of other people too, but they were the only ones I could afford, the only ones, yeah. even close to anything I could afford. The other ones were like three times as much for the same exact things I was looking for. Yeah. And between the three weeks that I waited to sign the contract and give them a deposit, they got five more vans, Wow. five more van contracts in front of mine. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so I think they're booked out, you know, well over a year at this point. Yeah. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were both working full time, and the guy quit his job, so he's doing the van builds full time now, and it's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Is it not that common there in New Zealand? Oh no, it is. Uh, but it's, um, I think, generally people hire camper vans and go traveling around. It's more amongst the so in Australia they've got a they call them grey nomads. Uh, that go traveling and up when they hit retirement and they go traveling around Australia. Um, so they've got quite a big um, a big following there. In New Zealand, it's certainly people, there are a lot of people with their own camper vans. Ours are a little bit different. Ours aren't the big buses that you guys that we see a lot in the states. Not like the big are they called RVs? Yeah, right. So we, we have RVs that some people are converting bu actual buses, but yeah. mostly, yeah, RVs. Yeah. So ours are sort of smaller camper vans. Um, and there's a, yeah, there's a lot of people use them, but it's, it is, it is something that a lot of retired people are using. That's great because here it's a lot of 20 somethings. Yeah, cool. Oh, yes. Well, we just still have the 20 somethings that do that as well. Um, sort of the cruising around the places, um, living a bit of a different kind of lifestyle and having a great time. But it's, I mean, I remember when we were in Europe and in my 20s, of course, all the Kiwis and Aussies went around Europe in the camper vans with their V-dub combis. And uh, <laughs> it was, <laughs> but they would have about four or five people in each van so they weren't living in a camper van. They were going from campground to campground. Yeah, I can't imagine. That's a lot of people. I think even two people because there's a lot of people here who travel as couples. And that's ugh, not, not my idea of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have your own space. I mean, that was part of the thing with solo travel is it was 
when I enjoy my time by myself, I'm a nurse. And so with nursing, you do a lot of shift work. So you spend a lot of time at home alone because everyone else is at work when you've got days off and things like that. So you have a lot of time to contemplate life and and nursing makes you think about life quite a bit. So I'm quite into my solo time and my solo travel trip, despite the fact that I just about had a panic attack at Charlotte Airport as I was leaving the States um, to fly to Dubrovnik, it was the most, the trip was the most empowering trip I have ever done. It was, I had moments of absolute fear and, and it wasn't fear of danger, it wasn't danger, it was just, I don't know, it was just some down times, like bad weather was really the hardest thing to cope with. And, um, and it wasn't even missing people or anything like that. It was more sometimes you'd have to make a decision by yourself and you'd be thinking, oh God, what do I do? What am I gonna, you know, or, or sometimes you'd be in a situation where you're thinking, oh, I don't feel that comfortable here. I've got to get out of this particular social situation uh, before things turn bad and not and because you're by yourself you've got to protect yourself so you're sort of trying to be super super nice to these people that you're thinking I'm not feeling particularly safe with you but I don't want to annoy you either because then you might turn really nasty (laughs) right yeah yeah there's definitely especially as a woman a lot more to you know we just have to be aware all the time we do we do exactly exactly but I found that with solo travel people were so they would see that you were by yourself and they just they just come up and talk and there were no barriers there was nothing like oh you've got someone to talk to so we won't talk to you they were and it wasn't like they felt sorry for me either and they just they just wanted to include you and I found actually that the best tourists for including other tourists are actually Americans they are the most warm and welcoming group of tourists that if they see you they just go well how how are there how are you <laughs> and they just you know they just absolutely embrace other tourists and as a, a solo female traveler they were wonderful they were really really wonderful and kind that's good to hear yeah i've had a lot of experiences like that too i've i've met more people that i'm still friends with years later that i met as a solo traveler yes yeah. When I've traveled with a significant other, I haven't, I can't even actually think of anyone that I've met that I'm, you know, maybe said hi to somebody in a coffee shop or whatever, had a little chat, but nobody that I've stayed friends with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when you travel, when you talk to people, when you're solo, I think you're having much more one-on-one conversations. Um, I found that when I was traveling in Croatia and Italy, I stayed in hostels a few times. Um and I met quite a few young female travellers, and they were often travelling solo as well. And so I sort of became their uh, their uh, mum for a little bit, and they would confide in me, which I, I found quite amusing. But um, but I was actually the same age as their mum, so um, it was it was that was okay. But it was funny, and it was yeah, they're just the most gorgeous, gorgeous people. And yeah, you have a bit more. I guess you just a bit more one-on-one and a bit more deeper in the conversation than if you're with other people. Yeah, it's true. And I would go, when I was in Germany, I went on all, all the tours the, uh, in Berlin. 
Well, also in Italy, in Venice, but they have a lot of free, and in Barcelona, they have a lot of free tours. And if I was with a bunch of people, I would find one person and I would do it at the very beginning. They didn't know the person that I was going to find. And I would kind of watch them a little bit. And then I, you know, and it was always a solo person, not a couple. And it didn't matter if it was a man or a woman. And then I would approach them and start a conversation. And I am still friends with those people. Wow. Yeah. And I would end up like the uh, one gentleman in Berlin. We're still friends and we still talk on a regular basis. And he's going to be on the podcast next week, I think. And yeah. uh, one woman that I met in Potsdam on, on you know, one of the tours. And we are really she's Ukrainian and we are really, really good friends. And, and the other the gentleman is Australian. And so it's just, it's just so fun. I love it. It's so fun. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Uh, when I went to, when I first arrived in Dubrovnik, I had a, a day trip booked for Montenegro because I was traveling by myself and I didn't, I had done a bit of solo travel, but that was when I was in my 20s and now I was, you know, in my late 40s. So I didn't know how I was going to go with traveling solo. So I booked a, a day trip to Montenegro because I thought maybe I should mix it up and have a bit of community time with people. And it was really brilliant. It was such a good day trip to do. And I met lots of people on the bus and there were solo travelers and there were couples and a lot of them from mainly America and Australia and England. And it was absolutely brilliant. And and then, but then I sort of felt that actually I didn't need to be doing day tours. I felt quite, you know, that, yeah, I didn't need to do day tours at all. It was, yeah, it, yeah, but there were other ways to meet people, um, you know, talking to people in cafes and, you know, sometimes I would hear someone talking and I'd hear, hear, pick up that they were speaking English and they would be by themselves and I'd go, hi, um, are you traveling by yourself? And they go, yes. And depending on what their response was, I would, you know, if they, if they put their head back in their phone and ignored me, I'd go, I think, well, I'll just move on from there. But most of the time they actually said, oh, yes, do you want to sit down and join me for a coffee? And then we'd chatter away. So, yeah, picking up on those kind of cues to start conversations. Yes, very true. Definitely. I was hiking in uh, Cinque Terre and I got to the top of the, the, you know, the highest mountain, the hardest hike, which wasn't that hard. And I was like leaning against a post, breathing heavily and, you know, mumbling to myself, oh, this was so difficult. And this woman comes up next to me and she goes, give me a break. I'm in my 60s. That was an easy hike. And I started laughing and started talking to her. We spent the entire day together and hiked yeah. through, you know, and then ended up taking the train everywhere. And yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, well, I had a, a similar experience when I was in the Cinque Terre. I was hiking and, you know, the Cinque Terre, those tracks are not that easy. <laughs> uh, there's real goat tracks there. So I met a group of women from New Zealand and we, it was just hilarious. And then they said, oh, when we get down into the village, we're going to go and have a coffee. Do you want to join us? And I said, oh, that'd be great. So there were just lots and lots of opportunities to meet people and have chats. And it didn't have to be long chats or for hours or anything like that. Sometimes it was hanging out. I had a train trip from um, Naples to La Spezia 
to going near the Cinque Terre and it was seven hours and I sat down and I sat next opposite a woman who was the same age as me, a nurse and um, I think she was from Wyoming and her daughter, they were traveling together and we had the most amazing, amazing time uh, sharing stories and just complete strangers. But, you know, from opposite sides of the world, but just connected on so many levels. And those things don't happen if you don't travel. No, no, exactly, exactly. It was her first time traveling. Um, she, I think she said she'd never seen the ocean and yeah, I was just, it was just phenomenal, just phenomenal. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Wow. Do you want to touch on what your dreams are and how long it took you to go after them? So basically, to back in 2016, I was, I guess, pre-menopausal and I was, I had two teenage children and a husband and I was working as a nurse and I'd been doing that for pretty much two decades and prior to that I'd been a traveler and I think I just felt this stirring this sort of this itch or you know like I just needed to do something different I needed to shake things up a bit and do something different and I don't know I needed a break I needed just just a break from from home stuff and yeah it just felt a bit of a rut so I decided that doing this travel the four weeks solo would be the thing to do and it wasn't until and really it was just a holiday I just wanted to have a holiday a break so when I got back though I realized that in actual fact and it, it really took months for this to dawn on me that it had been a this trip had actually been a real reboot for me it had really pushed me out of my comfort zone it had made me do things and challenged me to do things that I would never really have done and and I had to rely on myself I had to get myself from A to B it was just me looking after myself so I was well out of my comfort zone and from there that it was that kind of stuff that really has started to get into my psyche and you know from there I started doing the Facebook and the Instagram and putting myself out there and I think before that I never ever would have done that whereas now I go oh what what can go wrong what's the worst that can go wrong and it's yeah it really has I think I spoke to you about is like a reverberation of change so you get the change something happens like a shock and then it vibrates through your life. That sounds a bit deep and meaningful, but it's, it's, I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but it's, it does set up a pattern through your life and a different way of thinking and a different way of approaching things um, and getting rid of some of those fears and going, actually, no, I can do it. So some of the things that I'm doing, like with the website, building a website was uh, way out of my comfort zone, but I thought, well, Hey, I traveled by myself and I did that. I can do this too. <laughs> yes, that's a good been, point. Yeah, but it's it's been really good. It's it's really set me on the right path. I think a lot of women in different stages in life have uh, they they want some change. They want and they get to a point where they go, hang on, 
how do I want the next 20 years of my life to look or the next 10 years? And I think going on this solo travel trip was actually the perfect reboot for that and setting myself on the right trail. And now I, yeah, now I feel a lot more energized and going in a direction that I want to go. So people ask, you know, what are your dreams and what do you aspire to? Really, at the moment, my dreams are just living a life that I like and doing stuff that gives me joy. So my dream, I'm not dreaming of the future, I'm dreaming now. Um, I'm doing stuff that gives me joy and so I'm living my dreams. Um, I'm just not traveling, which is part of the dreams. But, <laughs> but yeah, I'm living my dream, not, not aspiring to a dream that's in the future. The, the future is now. It's true. And you're only not traveling now because of COVID. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And have you gone after your first solo trip? Have you been taking others? Yeah, I went to Australia and Australia is not very hard because it's pretty much like New Zealand. Um, I went on an outback trip. I actually did a tour with a company in the outback and uh, the outback is quite a dangerous place. As in, it's not a place that you venture by yourself unprepared. You, because of the, it's the weather and the extreme environment, it's not dangerous in any other way apart from snakes and spiders in Australia, but it's the extreme weather conditions and the lack of, so this trip was in the outback from Darwin down to Broome. So it's, really really remote to a point where there was a week where we had no internet access so it's very very remote so actually on that particular trip I traveled with six kilos so that's I don't know 15 pounds maybe um and that was I had to take things because there were no pharmacies out there so I took extra first aid gear basically and a lot of moisturizer and a lot of sunscreen so so I did that but that wasn't I didn't really consider that to be a solo trip because I was on a a tour with I think 11 other people but it was you know I was still by myself and I still it was it was absolutely brilliant Um, and then I've also been to uh, China I went to China for two weeks and did a Tai Chi workshop and went to a Tai Chi school, but I before and after the Tai Chi workshop, I travelled around Southeast China by myself, and uh, that was oh my goodness, that was so much fun. But it was really scary because there's a lot of people that don't speak English, and and I spoke no Chinese, embarrassingly, and it was pretty hard going. But the other thing with solo travel is you realise, or when you're by yourself. You don't need to rush anywhere. There's always going to be another bus. There's always going to be another taxi. There's always going to be, you can walk. You know, it's it's not, you realize that it's not the end of the world if you miss a bus or whatever. You can stay an extra night somewhere. Like, it's just not the end of the world. So, um, but it was, it was really, that was really out of my comfort zone, traveling by myself to China. That was, that was quite daunting. And in fact, it was afterwards, interestingly, that after the first day, was it, sorry, I stayed a couple of days in a place called Guilin, and then I went to this little town called Xingping. And it was, when I got there, 
I realized that I was so anxious that I actually didn't eat for 24 hours. But I didn't realize that. I just, I just, I just, I don't know. I, everything shut down. And I was so busy walking around and looking and amazed. But I just, I think my, I, there was a level of anxiety there. And it resulted in me not eating. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't interested. And I got, I woke up the next morning and I thought, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> what did I eat yesterday? And then I realized I hadn't actually eaten anything. <laughs> That's funny. I, I have to tell you, Xingping is my favorite town. In, in China that I've been to, I fell madly in love with Xingping and spent yeah. some time in Guilin and um, what's the other town? Yangshou. Yeah, Yangshuo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I yeah. love Xingping. Like if anybody's like, what's your number one favorite town? That was it. Oh, was, yeah. Wasn't it adorable? Oh, my goodness. It was so amazing. It was so wet when I was there. The river was in high flood. And it was unbelievable, but it was um, like I walked, did that walk up to the mountain that's right beside the the town, and the view is just phenomenal with those cast mountains, just just incredible, mm, really incredible. So um, when I went back to Young uh, Youngshou, there's a little village called Jima Village, and it's about 15 minutes into the national park area and that's where the tai chi school was and oh, that was just that was amazing so i spent a week there and doing tai chi and we would do tai chi for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon and then i would get on a bike and just bike around all the fields and the countryside and along the river and oh, it was just just incredible absolutely the scenery was just Stunning. Magical. I really oh. think it's magical there. I really, yeah. And I was, st I stayed at a hoth uh, youth hostel. I don't yeah. know if you, if you saw that one that was in the countryside run by uh, uh, husband and wife. Uh, they were Dutch. Yes, yes, yep. Yeah. So, and oh. it was beautiful and they have a restaurant and the mountains in the background. Oh, just stunning. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like about Xingping was one bathroom was a trough. And I don't know if you hit that bathroom, but yeah, it was just a trough. And when you were squatting over the trough, there was a woman just right next to you. You could have shook her hand if you wanted to. And a woman on the other side of you. Yeah. I didn't stay there, but I met someone who was staying there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't stay there, but I had to use that bathroom. <laughs> Uh, no, that was that was just yeah, it was brilliant. I'd love to go back there. I still follow the uh, the teacher from um, he's got a YouTube account and he sends emails and Facebook and everything. And he does a lot of his uh, Tai Chi demonstrations with the river and the mountains in the background. And yeah, it's it's really lovely. That's great. Tai Chi is amazing. Yeah, I studied yeah, that in school. It yeah, it's amazing. Nice. I guess I didn't ask, like, um, if you want to talk about, like, what challenges you faced and where you see your future. The challenges when I was traveling solo were probably the weather. Um, bad weather days were hard days. Uh, I think it just, just, yeah, affected my mood quite a lot when you're by yourself. 
there was one particular day on the Dalmatian Islands where it was raining and blowing a gale and I just couldn't escape the wind and it was just the day just dragged and dragged and dragged and yeah I went for a walk and I just got sick of the wind sick of the rain and it just I thought oh my god if someone rang me now and said I had to come home to New Zealand I would easily book a flight and just get on it I'd only been away for 10 days at that point but I thought no I've done it if someone rings I'll go home but that it was really the weather that was the biggest challenge. Um, there were other smaller challenges like eating. Eating when you're solo is often a bit trickier. So I would often have my meals earlier, so maybe six o'clock before everyone else, all the crowds came because then I didn't feel like such a, a loner <laughs> sitting at my table by myself. But then sometimes people would actually come up to me, see that I was traveling by myself or eating by myself, and they would hear that I would, I speak loudly and they'd hear the English accent and so they would come and talk to me. Um, and then there were, there were other, there was, um, there was a, when I was in Dubrovnik, the guy that I was staying with at the Airbnb, he told me about a pizza bar that you could go and order a slice of pizza and then everyone sat around at these leaners and sitting and drinking and eating their pizzas. He said, oh, it's really sociable and all the tourists go there. So I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll go there. You know, I walked in and I ordered my pizza and I went and stood at a leaner and all these people were on their phones. And I, so I thought, I'll oh, bugger you. So I said, hi, how are you doing? And they all sort of looked at me as a, you know, how do you speak to me? I'm busy on my phone. And I said, oh, whereabouts are you guys from? And, and got sort of really monosyllabic answers. And I thought, oh, God, you know, and, and that was like the whole rest, the whole place was really quiet because there were solo travelers and they were all on their phones. So I went and sat at the bar, um, I put myself on a bar stool next to the guy who was serving the pizzas and started chatting to the staff and had a, sat there for about an hour talking to them. And because the the travellers were all had their heads in their phones. And I thought, you know, it's really sad that, um, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty bad that you can't hold a conversation or that. And I know that some of them are doing business and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think if someone approaches you, you could, you could make an effort. So that was it's food eating was probably a bit of a challenge. I'd often eat my main meal of the day in the middle of the day, um, and then maybe just have a takeaway pizza or takeaway pasta for dinner, so that I wasn't in a restaurant by myself. Hmm. That was, but then, but then, when I say that, that sounds really sad. But in actual fact, I would take my pasta and my pizza, and I would go and sit on the beach and have the most spectacular view. I remember up in, um, on the island of Capri, I was up on Anna Capri in the little village up above, and I got some pizza there, and I went and sat in this little sunken garden looking out over the ocean, and it was just incredible. It was just, you know, so you don't need to feel sorry for me about eating alone because <laughs> I was having a ball. That sounds amazing. I do not feel sorry for people. Eat. I love eating alone. I eat alone all the time. Ah, yeah. So when I was in, I think it was, I can't remember one of the, one German town, maybe Dresden. No, 
Leipzig. I don't know. One of the German towns and I went to a restaurant all by myself and I'd had, oh, it was, must have been Leipzig. I had a, a really scary situation where somebody was following me all day and yeah. and nothing happened but like I would duck into a, a coffee shop and I would come out and he would he would be like across the street like he was a big guy but he'd be across the street trying to hide, trying to hide behind a pole but I could still see him and then I'd start walking and he'd come behind me and start walking behind me and then I'd duck somewhere else and the same thing would happen happen like five times over a period of a few hours till I finally went you know found some policemen but wow. that night I thought, well, I have to go out and eat, but I don't want to. I'm scared. Even though he didn't know where I was staying, he didn't follow me back or anything. But I went to a restaurant half a block away from where I was staying because I was so afraid. And I sat alone and this really nice guy sat at the table next to me and we ended up talking the entire time. Yeah. So um, you just never know, you know, and, and that was oh it. It was just one conversation for, you know, whatever the hour. And then that was it. Parted ways. And but it was really lovely. So, yeah, I mean, sitting and, and looking at the at the ocean is a definite plus. But I, I, I don't know. I really like I bring a book or whatever. Yeah. I love eating alone. So, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but it's interesting um, that you're talking about the challenges with traveling solo I guess traveling, my worst parts of traveling, whether I'm with my husband and kids or friends or whatever, it's always the arriving and leaving is the most, often the most challenging parts. And when I arrived in Rome, um, so Rome's got, Rome has a reputation for thieves, well, as any city does really, but um, they talk it up a bit in poor old Rome. And so I was really nervous, but I'd looked on Google Maps on Street View and I knew exactly where I had to go to my accommodation. And I booked my accommodation because it was right near the train terminal, which I had to get back to the next morning. And I got to the accommodation really easily and then realized that actually that was sort of like just the the check-in area and they would then walk me around the streets of this particular area until they took me to where my actual room was. And my room was in like an apartment block, an old apartment block, and I had to carry these really heavy keys to get in the front door. Then I had to get the, and I had to unlock the lift, and the lift was one of those with the rattly iron doors that you have to open and close. And then you went up in this rattly lift, and then I had to unlock more doors to get into the right floor and oh my god by the time I got there I was petrified and then he said and then there was no one I couldn't see anyone else in the building and there was no fire escape the windows were all boarded up so I was paranoid there was going to be a fire and I was going to get you know stuck and so then and I had to go and have some dinner so I went back down and double checked all the keys that they worked on the way down. I was paranoid I was going to lock myself out of the um, out of the apartment. And then I got to the bottom and by this stage it was like nine o'clock at night and I thought, oh my God, I've got to find somewhere to eat. And I stopped. There was a cafe literally about one door away. I said, I don't care whether this is top class European food with really expensive, I'm eating here. 
and uh, it was my it was my one of my favorite meals but I do think it was one of my favorite meals because I actually thought it was going to be one of my last meals <laughs> I was so frightened about the accommodation I was living in um, so then the next morning I I slept fine and I um, went back to the hotel lobby walked down my way back and uh, told them that if they come across solo female travellers, they've got to look after them a bit better than that. That's so, good. What did they say? Oh, they were very apologetic and asked me not to put a Google review. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, Rome is, uh, it, I, I found, Ro- okay, my dog wants to say hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's very needy. Um, uh, Rome is challenging. I, I found Rome to be, and I, I haven't been to Rome since the 90s. I mean, I've been to Italy several times in the last couple of years, but I haven't been back to Rome because it wasn't my favorite. Right, yeah. Yeah, so my trip was all about going to rural places. Um, I was a bit over, bit over cities. So I read, so it sounds terrible, but I basically flew into Rome one night, stayed a night in and then got the train down to the Amalfi Coast on the on the the next day. So my uh, my trip to Rome was tiny, but I had like you, I'd been to Rome um, when I was in my twenties, and um, we'd had fun and enjoyed it. It was a diff- just a different kind of trip, though. But um, yeah, I, did, I was after the countryside on this particular trip. I wanted to do hiking and wasn't really into the cities scenes. Yeah, I'd had enough of the ch- churches in Europe. Yeah. Oh, but they're beautiful. Oh, they are. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you see your future, like traveling? Um, The traveling, I think, I think, so I'm now in my early 50s, and I think that I see my traveling, because New Zealand is such a long way away from Europe, when we go over to Europe, we generally, well, this is a generalization, but we generally go for a bit longer. We don't go for, you know, a week kind of thing. We go for longer. And I, I'm sort of hoping that we'll be able to do longer trips when the kids have left home and be able to, you know, spend a month in places or um, or even longer um, basing ourselves in different places. I, I mean, I absolutely love Europe. I'm just... Yeah, I, I've done a lot of the intrepid countries of Asia and Africa and, um, yeah, but I really, really like Europe. I'd like to go to South America um, and Central America. I'd love to I'd love to explore more of America. I think um, America, then your national parks are just absolutely unbelievable. Um, I went to Yosemite about six years ago and went back there three years ago. Um, it is seriously one of the most just heaven on earth experiences in Yosemite. Um, but we've been to Yellowstone, Bryce Canyon, Zion, Grand Canyon. I mean, they really are brilliant. Your National Park Service is second to none. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, the education they provide, the yeah environmental stuff they do, just phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I could I could live in your national parks. <laughs> That's good to hear. I you've been to more national parks here than I have. So 
Yeah, well, it was a bit of a national park tour when we went there uh, six years ago. We did a hell of a lot of driving, and uh, but yeah, it was we went to most of the time we were in the um, in national parks pretty much the whole time. But we did go to Vegas, and uh, Vegas <laughs> Vegas is a different city altogether. But oh, that was pre- that was phenomenal too on a different level, just because it's so different. It is. I always call it adult Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was great. We loved it there. Love but I've since good. been to um, New Orleans and Nashville and Memphis and really, really enjoyed those cities as well. I'm really not a city person, but actually those three cities were pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, New Orleans is great. I haven't been to the other two, but yeah, New Orleans is great spent a lot of time there. If you there. go to uh, Memphis, you, um, everyone says you've got to go to Graceland's, but actually um, the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis is outstanding, absolutely outstanding. Um, I can't stand museums. I avoid them at all costs, but this one I would go back to um, in a second. It is the most phenomenal museum I think I've ever been to yet. Even now, three years later, I'm still affected by uh, the what we heard, what we saw. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. Wow. Okay, that's good to that's good to know. I love museums, <laughs> but it's because my mom's an artist. I think oh, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a different. I I learned to see art in a different way than, than I, and, and I, you know, it's, it's a kind of a, you know, it's a whole another story, but it happened within a day of where I, you know, we went to a museum together and I looked at a painting and I go, that's the most hideous thing I've ever seen. And then she took me through the entire museum and explained mm-hmm. the layering and the every, everything about all the paintings. It was, it was like eight hours. And at the end we walked back to the first painting and I started crying and said, this is the most beautiful painting I've ever seen. And it just how like, you know, it, I'll never forget, right? So my perspective was 180 in in six hours or eight hours. Wow! Just we all yeah. need that. We all <sighs> need to have art explained because we used to have a TV program. It was on late, and I probably never watched it. I watched it every now and then if I my nursing shifts finished late. But um, he, this guy, would go through the art and explain it, and it does make sense. It, if someone explains not the art piece, but actually how, the technique or the what you see, um, but yeah, no, it's um, I think when you've got more of a story behind the art as well, and the artist. Oh, exactly. When I was in Naples, um, I got off. It was interesting. Um, I got to Naples and I needed to get to. There's a chapel called San Severo. And it's got a sculpture in there that I really wanted to see. So I'm not really into sculptures and art and stuff. But anyway, I decided that I wanted to see this particular sculpture. And um, I dropped my bag off at the hotel, quickly dumped it, and then raced around to the chapel. And the chapel was a... um, The the sculpture was a... uh, It was marble. And it's called the Veiled Christ. And it's basically, it's one piece of marble, but it's the body of Jesus lying on a, a bed or a tablet or whatever it is. And then there's veil over him as well. 
but it's all in one piece. And it was really funny because you could only get about two metres close to it. And everyone was just staring at it, trying to figure out how the artist did it. Like, it was just phenomenal, the technique. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was absolutely fascinated by it because it was of a dead person. And being a nurse, I've seen a few, and I couldn't believe the detail of the relaxed body of a dead person. And it sounds a bit macabre, but it was actually really fascinating. And I think the, the person who did it had seen some dead people. Um, but it was very, just so intricate, so well done. But it was the fact that there was this layer of lace over the top. And, I, and it was all in one piece of marble. Just And the carver was unbelievable. And so the lace was marble too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Really incredible. Yeah, it's called the Veiled Christ, and it's in the San Severo Chapel. I will. I will have to get there someday. It sounds amazing. I love sculpture. Yeah. So that's cool. Okay. So we've gone an hour. I want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to tell people. Um, I was just going to say about how to start traveling solo. So if anyone is thinking of traveling solo, one of the things that I often recommend is my thing of going for four weeks by myself was probably a bit uh, of a jumping in the deep end. So I tend to tell people to maybe do like go for a week away somewhere locally um, to an area that you've been to before. So or or go to a place maybe if you live in... um, where Europe is closed, maybe go to a city that you've already been to. So if you've been to Paris before, fly there, spend a week there by yourself. So don't sort of over overcommit yourself to a really huge long time. Sometimes with solo travel, even just a couple, a weekend away can be enough to, to give you a bit of a, a nice reboot. One thing I found though with solo travel is that when you're by yourself, and I don't know whether it's because your adrenaline is running a little bit higher than normal, but everything goes, time goes very, very slowly. And have you found that? Yeah, or maybe just time goes slowly on vacation. I don't know. I, yeah, I haven't yeah. really I haven't really thought of it. Yeah, I found that when I was in Europe that because I was by myself and I didn't necessarily have anyone else to talk to, that time just went really, and I'm not saying it was slowly in a bad way, but it didn't rush. It didn't, I wasn't having conversations, I guess, that were distracting me and filling in time. And so it was, I was just, I guess I was constantly observing things and constantly looking around and constantly my senses were all on alert because they were um, aware of what was going on around me. But so I found that the time went really slowly. So it's often, You know, you go away for a weekend sometimes and you think, gosh, I feel like I've been away for a whole week. And that was when I'd been away for 10 days and I got the bad weather in Cortula and Dalmatian Islands and I felt like I could have easily come home. It felt like I'd been away for a month already after 10 days. So I think if I, after a month, I felt like I'd been away for six months. It was, it was really fabulous. But yeah, start small um, and yeah, don't maybe bite off four weeks in a completely foreign country. 
Right. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think it's because I've traveled solo for so long that I have a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah. So I've traveled most places in the U.S. solo, Europe several times solo. Yeah. So, (laughs) but the last trip I took with a significant other was to Mexico at the beginning of this year. And it did, it did seem to go faster and it wasn't, it was like a 10 day trip. So yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But that's, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad thing feeling like you'd been away for six months at all. No. And when I was, I took six weeks, uh, six weeks solo trip last year to Europe. And on the last day, I just, I was like, I mean, even though it, it felt like a full six weeks, I didn't want to come home. I just, oh. yeah, I was like, nope, this is no. Mm-mm. I want to stay here forever. Oh, well, yeah. See, I think after my any of my solo trips, I've enjoyed coming home. It's nice to get home. Well, it's. I think my husband's pleased to see me and the kids are pleased to see me. So. <laughs> right, and you have something to come home to. Like I, all I had to come home to was, was a job that I, well, you know, I don't hate it. I'm just kind of done with it right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, difference. So where can people find you? So they can find me on my website, which is the five kilo traveler, which has got two L. So T-R-A-V-E-L-L-E-R.com, the five kilo traveler.com. And then at Instagram, I am at the five kilo traveler and Facebook, the five kilo traveler. Okay, great. And are you more active on Facebook or Instagram? I'm, I post probably weekly to once or twice a week to Facebook and Instagram is probably where I'm a little bit more active maybe two to three posts a week in stories yeah Instagram is probably uh, the easiest way to get to me that's where I found you yeah <laughs> well thank you this was a great interview I really I really enjoyed it oh Kimberly it's been great I've really enjoyed it too it's really nice to to, it's nice to have an international connection while we're all stuck in our own it countries. Is. Yeah, it's really fun. Mm. It is. Thank you. And I need—I feel like I've never been to New Zealand or, or um, Australia, even though I know completely different. But I have friends in both places, and I'm like, ah, I need to get over there at some point. Obviously, yeah. not anytime soon, but I know it's. I mean, Australia is amazing. I mean, I'm. Of course, I'm very pro New Zealand, but Australia's, you know, gorgeous too. It's a, a country of uh, huge diversity in Australia. It's just phenomenal. Um, and in New Zealand, of course, it's I think the natural beauty is probably its outstanding feature. It's yeah, it's uh, it's got very windy roads. So yeah, that's one thing you'd need to sort of get used to. Um, but it, and we drive on the wrong side of the road, of course. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, but. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. When we were driving in the States, I was petrified being on the wrong side of the road. Yeah. And the amount of traffic and the speed and the the size of the trucks, they were just phenomenal. And the aggression. I didn't find it aggressive, just as in they're just determined drivers. (laughs) That's a good word. (laughs) (laughs) Vegas, driving in Vegas, I got my husband's drive there. That was um, that was probably the worst driving experience I've ever seen. 
Yeah, well, New York City, Manhattan was the... Oh, he's peeking in. <laughs> uh, Manhattan was the hardest for me out of everywhere I've driven. And I can imagine. My daughter and I went to... We were in Manhattan um, in New York last December. And um, it was... Yeah, the traffic there. I mean, I wouldn't even bother trying to drive in New York. It was just gridlocked most of the time. Yeah, but it's actually kind of fun to drive there. So I was, and I'm a, I'm from Los Angeles, so I'm already oh, an insane right. yeah. aggressive driver. I'm not that aggressive anymore, but I yeah. have been in my past. And so I was like, oh, you're taking a right turn from the left lane? Yes, I can do that too. You know, like I got really a little bit crazy. <laughs> Oh, funny. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing at the moment, some online courses for people to learn how to travel light and maybe from there also how to travel solo. So just putting it all in one place where people can find the information easily um, and have Facebook Lives and Q&A sessions and, and have a bit of a community of people doing the course. Um, so, yeah, watch out for that one. That'll be hopefully coming soon. And that'll be on your website? That'll be on my website and through email. And I'll, I'll advertise it on Facebook and Instagram as well. Okay, great. That sounds fun. Yeah, that okay. will be fun. Well, yes, it's uh, it's stretching my technology learning at the moment. But I'm, you know, but, you know, this is another thing that I never, ever thought I would have done. But I, I do believe, firmly believe that my solo trip was the thing that's really kicked me into doing things like this. And one of my things is that if it's fun then do it (laughs) I agree I love that yeah yeah gotta do things that give you joy it's true yeah not enough people do that in America it's I think it's it's worldwide yeah it's worldwide people yeah it's but I think a lot more people are coming to the realization that life is not as long as perhaps they think they've got and yeah they need to do things in life that make them happy yeah totally yes i agree well thank you Catherine. i really enjoyed our our talk thank you so much for listening that was Catherine, the five kilo traveler i'll have all of her links in the show notes below and she calls herself the coach for traveling light and i just i love that I love everything she stands for. She's absolutely amazing. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Her website is the5kilotraveler.com. Wait, let me check on that. Yeah, the5kilotraveler.com. And that is traveler with two L's. Not how we spell it in the United States, but how they spell it in the rest of the world. So I'm going to say that's probably the correct way to spell it. And she also, where I met her was on Instagram, and her Instagram is the 5 Kilo Traveler and the number 5 and Traveler with two L's. And then she has a link tree where you can find her courses and her website, her blog, and all that. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate all your support. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is also highly appreciated. You can find me and more information about AUA on anunknownadventure.com. 
I do try to leave extensive show notes, including links to everything we talked about today. But if you have any questions or just want to say hi, please do reach out to me on Instagram or my website. And my Instagram is also an unknown adventure. Your adventure awaits, and I'll be looking for you on your personal road of dreams. Thank you.